Hello and welcome to another edition of the Football Podcast with myself and Stephen Caldwell. Today we chat about Alejandro Pozuelo's scintillating debut. Hugo Lloris is 90th minute blunder. We say Alvida Zane to Huddersfield. Montreal has a very forgettable match. Vancouver records its first point of the season under Mark Dos Santos. Chelsea grabs three points in very questionable comeback. Ole Gunnar is at the wheel to stay and Canada's group of death in the Nations League. But guys, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been together. Shawnee, Stevie, how are we doing? Good. Got a goal this weekend, so I'm on a high. You so got a goal this weekend? Well done, Shawnee. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Normally in the back, but put, put one in. Good yeah. for you, mate. Getting forward. I like to hear it, Shawnee. <laughs> there you go. But your Tottenham let you down again, so you've got a smile on your face. Your though, goalie let you down again, Sean. He's replaced. Hugo Lolleris. Uh Stevie, you well? Yeah, I'm Apart really good, KJ. outside right now? I couldn't believe it when I saw it uh, Sunday morning. Yeah. So never mind. Hopefully it'll leave soon and we'll get some warm weather. It, well, let's hope. Um, it wasn't snowing uh, down by the Lakeshore on Friday night under the lights. Another special night under the lights at BMO Field. Let's get to that game first and we will get to all the other stuff we mentioned, uh, including um, the big Liverpool game next. But TFC... Um, I think demolished is a fair word of New York City FC on Friday night. A very poor, uh, in fact, I think one of the worst away performances at BMO Field by an MLS team in many years. Well, that's, that's what I thought it was. I'm with you there, but we'll get to another really yeah. by the way performance yes. in Kansas City a bit yeah. later. But they were absolutely awful, New York City FC, KJ. You're right. They were defensively just nowhere at the races, uh, attacking wise. They couldn't hold the ball up. I, I was really disappointed. And, and surprised that they were that bad yeah, because like I was expecting a really good game down at BMO Field on, on Friday night. I thought there would be two pretty good teams. I expected a lot of goals and a lot of good attacking football. Well, we saw some great attacking football, but it was all from the team in red. All, all from the team in red. Now, you and I are, are independent broadcasters. You were the former captain of Toronto FC. They're obviously a very yep. special place in your heart. I've yep. covered them from day one. However, um, people would sometimes that they, they get miffed when they ask us this, do you really not carry wins games? And that's generally our belief that we don't. It's what we no. but we do root for storylines. Yeah. And on Friday night we had a thirty minute pregame show which was dominated by a certain Spanish midfield maestro where we included a lots of discussion about him with Ali Curtis. I sat down with Pozuelo for over six minutes in the pregame show. Lots of discussions about him. Then the game followed and sometimes you just root for the story and you just hope when you're getting new viewers on a Friday night, uh MLS on TSN that that continued and boy did it ever continue as uh, the postman delivered himself. Yeah, let's talk about that story, the, the most protracted story in MLS history, or TFC history for sure, with the transfer and the back and forward, Ali Curtis to Belgium and Genk not allowing him to leave and just the drama involved. We were at the press conference on the Monday and the big build-up for what was an expensive acquisition, $10 million spent on Alejandro Pozzuolo and we went down there and, and I've got to say you were way more confident than me, KJ, that he was going to settle in right from the start and that's exactly what he did. What a sensational performance. Had absolutely everything. I thought he was a, a, a touch slow at the start, maybe five or ten minutes just feeling his way in and then every time he touched the ball it seemed to get better and better mm. and you started to see the, the fluidity to an attack that I think has been missing for over a year it's, it's been a long time since we've seen TFC play like that it was all down to the catalyst Alejandro Pozuelo for me the way that he he, he created partnerships with his, his colleagues his, his teammates the way that he, he moved around the field created space for others and of course the demolition job that he did in the New York City defence himself with his, his first assist and then the two goals was 
just special to watch. Yeah, he brings a real imagination to the attack, doesn't he? Almost and and almost like from an opposition point of view, he's just it is just so unpredictable that it's one of those players where I think they're going to be fine. This is not a honeymoon period for me. I, I think it's going to be very difficult for any team to defend against him. And what do you do? Yeah. Because he has got, you know, he's got that very special talent where if you give him time on the ball, he can pick, he can pick up the pass. He's got a little bit of Fabregas in him for yeah. me where he's got that little uh, eye for the eye pass. And then he can take a little look and, and move it over. These are all very high comparisons. I'm talking at MLS level. He's got a, a, a little bit of Iniesta in him when he's on the dribble, when he can receive a ball on a turn and dribble with both feet. And you don't know, as an opposition's defender, which way he's going to go. Like, often, sometimes people will tilt towards their favoured foot, don't yeah. they? And you know this better than yes. I, as a defender. You always think, okay, you're in that mental battle with that player at that moment, and you're thinking in that split second, 80 to 85 to 90%, I know which way you're going to go yeah. here. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. with him, those percentages are way lower because you don't know he's going to go right or left. And sometimes some of his teammates didn't even know. So what chance does the opposition have? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. When you watch the footage and you prepare for the game, you start to see uh, characteristics in a player. It's, everybody's like that or most players are like that. And some are extremely special. You don't know if they're going to go left or right. You don't know where they're going to pop up. You don't know when they're going to pass or when they're going to shoot, when they're going to carry the ball forward. And he's got all the attributes. Mm. And I'm with you, you know, we're not comparing Pozuelo to an Iniesta or a Xavi or a Fabregas in terms of what, you know, what he's going to do in the game. But at this level, in this league in North America, MLS, he does have that look about him. It couldn't get near him. Mm. It can go off either side. I love how he drifts into different areas. Sometimes he comes deep, but it, it's it's not indulgent the way that he does it. He, he does it at the right times, and most of the time he did his work in between the lines exactly where they want him. And uh, I loved his partnership with Azorio. I have to say that I, I felt he brought out the best in Jonathan Azorio, and he's had a little bit of a slow start to the season. I thought he looked really good next to Pozuelo. Nice uh, connection there, and movement between them. Maybe the Spanish language helps here with Jonathan, Jonathan Azorio's Colombian background, he yeah. can speak fluent Spanish um, and I like the partnership with Altador as well but a special player I think I said on Friday night KJ he has that elusive quality about him doesn't he, he looks slight and I know being a defender I used to look at players like that go oh here we go great I'm just going to get near this guy and I'm going to hit him hard with a tackle because mm. I'm clearly carrying way more weight than him and some guys you just can never get close enough to right. actually come through them and hit them. And he's that kind of guy just drifting off either side, using his body. It seems like the only way, you know, the only Spaniards can do it with that panache and that skill. They just always keep their body between the ball and the, and the defending player and everything to his game. I and mean, when you talk about the two goals, it's just, it was ridiculous, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, let's get into those. I mean, the, the, the Penenka penalty is obviously been well documented since spoke to him right, right after the game, the live interview we did on the field where he described that uh, Bill Manning, the president of the club, went out for dinner with him on the Saturday and mentioned that they'd had problem taking penalties that season, that, that um, this season so far. We can actually document this further because we spoke to Greg Vanny prior to this game in the previous home game against New England. And I asked him directly who would take penalties that day. Yeah. Um, and at that point, Jordan Hamilton was assigned the penalty taker and Josie Altidore, if he came on the field, would have taken over. That point, Pozuelo now comes and he looks like he's obviously the destined penalty taker. And Pozuelo told Bill Manning on the Saturday night, if I take one, 
then I'm going to do the Panenka. And then he described it quite eloquently afterwards by saying, when you first come to a league, that you expect the goalie to dive one way or the other. <laughs> I'm not saying he's going to do another Panenka, maybe for yeah. maybe ever. Um, but if you ever got a perfect time to do one, what a time. And it was almost the perfect Panenka, by the way, as well. The, the, the absolute dip of the ball. Yeah, he had no idea he was going to do it. And it was a, a true Panenka. You know, it wasn't one of these safety ones where you... You sort of half drive it into the net. It was a no. literally a chip. And it wasn't a Simeon Jackson one either. Shout oh, out to him over the weekend. Oh, poor Simeon, yeah. I know. Yeah. Uh, that's the risk that you take when you you, you take up an anchor. Yeah. You, you try and be cute. Uh, to me, <laughs> I never took penalties, but it would never have came into my head to even mm. try that, especially not in my debut, knowing the importance of that moment in front of his, you know, his most ardent fans in the south side of Beemore Field. To me, with the way that he strikes a ball, I just was certain he was going to come up and, and hit it pretty hard into a corner. So I was completely shocked when I saw it, and it, it showed the level of confidence that the lad has it also showed that the way he was playing on the night he was feeling it he was just putting along mm. at that point and uh brilliant penalty and a, an amazing moment and um a moment that really you know sort of brought the energy back into a stadium that's that's been lacking it for a while it, it wasn't full on friday night but it felt pretty vibrant again, didn't it? It did. And we'll get to the lob and the tactics quickly before we move on to another one. But I do want to ask Shawnee this question, actually, Shawnee, while you're here. Because I, it, this guy's a pure entertainer for me. And I was watching, and we were talking about this yesterday on TSN as well. We can talk about what he's like on the field or you like. But I was looking at the faces at BMO Field on Friday night and the fans. And that, and sometimes that gets lost in this industry. Sometimes we're all about X's and O's and what we do. But in the end, sometimes people like yourself, you've been a fan from day one. You go there also to be entertained, to connect with these people, do you not? And that, and I felt there's a real connection between him and the fans immediately, like standing ovation as soon as he went over to take corners and things like that. What did you think? No, it was incredible. The uh, the South End and the stadium in general had this, this shine to it that hasn't been there since obviously uh two years ago um but yeah there was the energy in this in the crowd that just sort of lifted up and uh, yeah it was definitely before even when he scored it was just sort of noticing the quality and noticing everything and then just sort of lifted everyone up it was it was it was a really good night uh at bimo that feeling that when when he took the panenka there was this 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 unbelievable sound from the crowd of just oh, just euphoria yeah. euphoria and shock there's this like you know I remember when Javinko scored that amazing goal against New York Rebels and back in October 14 2015 when they first, first of all they had that and then they had the big euphoric roar and that came with the lob as well yeah right, you know um, so Pozuelo's coming off Jay Chapman's right in front of me his last touch of the game you know, I think okay so, and then just the attack they come down and then he lobs what I think is actually a decent goalkeeper for MLS yeah. Sean Johnson uh, he lobs him inside his own penalty area. Messi had done this a couple of weeks ago and me and you were watching that goal together. We were like, how many times do you see someone lob someone inside your own Does penalty? It, it doesn't happen, days, does it? you know? Yeah. And he did that. As soon as it happened, Greg Vanny turned his head in disbelief and actually locked eyes with me and just just kind of just an absolute, <laughs> just one of those mutual things where you just shake it your head yeah. and you just think, wow, what did you what just happened, see? What happened, you know? Yeah, you know, I'm not sure you saw it. What, to see it come from up, up top as yeah. well, commentating was a, was a joy. It was incredible. It's, it, it's hard to really be in the, the the true beauty of that moment when you're working of course and you, you know you're thinking about when you're going to come in what's the right moment how much crowd sound are you, are you going to allow before you know I, I look lays out and then I come in with, with some words and so 
all of that stuff was going through my head. But as I as I look over the weekend and I you know I see this goal go viral all over the world. You know my brother's preparing for his game on Saturday afternoon and in, in the UK and you know he's saying what about Pasuelo? So everybody's talking about him. Everybody's seen this thing, and it was a moment in the stadium where you're right. That noise, that wow factor is just you don't see things like that, and you try to lock it in your brain and remember it forever we're going to talk about some other goals later on in this show um, that are very special to me and you'll have some as well KJ but this goal will be that for us in 10, 15, 20 years I think the, the second one it was incredible It was he, he was looking a bit leggy you had just announced on air he's coming off I'm, I'm, I'm watching him I see the breakaway coming he was struggling to get up with the play. He was that tired. And I'm thinking, this is the right thing. This guy needs to come off. He's he's in danger of getting injured at this moment. And when he gets it to his feet, it's almost like so nonchalant. Mm. He just doesn't want to move again. He just clips his ball with his left foot. By the way, one of the most two-footed players I've ever seen. Yeah. And I supported Celtic as a kid. And there was a guy called Lubo Maravcic. Yes. Who was sensational with both feet. He, he took corners with both feet. I think this guy Alejandro Pozuelo is better. Mm. I honestly do. I've, I've, he is right-footed. You've asked him, and, and we know that. And he takes free kicks and penalties with his right foot, but he favours his left foot when he's dribbling. Mm -hmm. It's unbelievable. It's normally if two-footed comes on the weaker foot, you make a successful pass. This guy favours one for certain styles of his play over the other, and to just do that with his left foot and chip it over a, a goalkeeper is big and as good as Sean Johnson. We both like him. We yeah. think he's pretty solid in MLS. Yeah, what a moment. And Sean Johnson just falling into the net yeah. just made it really special. You mentioned the two-footed. We highlighted it on air at halftime that the assist for Altidore when he broke from midfield, um, a touch with the right, touch with the left to receive the ball, then dribbled five touches with his right, received the ball back four touches with his left, yeah. including the pass. Highlights everything about how two-footed he is. Before we move on to the action at Anfield, a final thing about Pozuelo is tactically, Greg Vanny decided to go with him in, as a number 10 in basically a 4-2-3-1. Yeah. I think, um, and I think I pretty much know a, a very favourable formation to Greg Vanny something he's in wanting to play and wanted to play for some time and never could when yeah. he had Jovinko on Altidore. And I'm sure he was almost delighted to be able to finally plug the pieces into the jigsaw puzzle that best suited his coaching philosophy. And it looks like Pozuelo as a 10 and a 4-2-3-1 is probably the way to go rather than even an attack-minded member of a 4-3-3. Yeah, that's, that's where he'll play. That's his best position. Now, um, it worked perfectly within that, that conventional sort of whole pocket between the, the uh, midfield and the back lines. And I think in time that'll become more difficult. So I think he'll sort of transition into a free roll. Mm. He'll go wherever he wants. And um, with a team that Greg Vanny picked on Friday night with uh, De Leon and, and obviously Bradley at the base, but Delgado and Desorio, I think the three players that are pretty smart at sort of tactically coming into certain areas to plug gaps. So if Pozuelo is going to drift to the left, I see Azorio coming into the, you know, the more conventional number 10 position and, and Delgado can do that as well. So uh, essentially he's going to have a free role. He's going to be told, look, you're the heartbeat of this team. Everything attacking is going to come through you. Go wherever you feel you can find space to get on the ball. We'd prefer it to be within there, closer to Jose Altidore. But don't be surprised if we see him at times drift to the left or the right-hand sides or even deeper like he did for that first goal for yeah. Altidore to get on the ball. And that's maybe where he can be, that attack man. Yeah. Remember. I mean, ultimately, we try and put numbers on these very fluid formations. The, the, one, thing I would, the one thing I would, I, I would like to add quickly is that 
when he is given that free role, I found already that he was trying to sit on James Sands when they were trying to distribute out the back. Yeah. So Sands played almost as that one in a 4-1-4-1 for New York City FC and often would drop in as like a third centre-back and he went really high on him. Yeah, he looked like a second them. striker. Yeah, he looked like a second striker to stop that. So he's got that in ability yeah. as well, you know, to tr to read the play and understand where he needs to be. And actually Sands tried to do it on him and went through him hard a couple of times, but it didn't necessarily shake past Wales. Bounced straight back up, yeah, didn't he? And exactly. so he showed that hardy side to his game as well. And I think he'll be a real leader for this team as well moving I, forward. I agree. I just wonder if there's going to be any are other MLS teams going to watch what happened on Friday night and think, how do we get to TFC? Where are they vulnerable? And is it the press? Can I think some teams out there this year could get spanked by TFC. Yeah. But I think if you're brave and you press high and you go in on Pottswello and you go you press high on Pottswello, yeah. and then ultimately at the other end, if you go high on and you press Bradley or Seymour or whoever, Mavinga yeah. and Bono, you could get some luck there. I yeah. think that's the area that they'll look at. Look, if TFC, as they showed where they've, they, they didn't lead to a goal, I don't think a couple of times, they led to an off cycle. Yeah. They, they've got the quality to play around that press very quickly and fast and they played a lot more purposeful with the ball I thought yeah. than they did at all last season in this shape um, but then they play if they can play through you they'll destroy you right now TFC particularly with Pozuelo and Altador but if you get it right and you get that press I think they can get some work out yeah it's a way to play against TFC because if you stand off with, with, with this guy and with the pieces that they're, that they're bringing in together now you're going to get hurt. You're going to have problems. And so you've, you've got to come high on them. You've got to press, but you've got to do it with a purpose. And if you feel your your three strikers are going, then you better back them up as a defence. And exactly. at times, New York City were reluctant to do that. So what you saw was, you know, three or four guys go. TFC's football was excellent on the night. Through that first, you know, four-man press, and then a massive gap where, you know, Pozuelo was drifting into and uh, Osorio at times with just space to take it forward. If you do that and you go half and you don't go as a team, you're going to get destroyed by them. Mm -hmm. So you better come up with a tactical plan to say, here are the trigger points, here are the keys. Back to Bono as one of them. He was pretty shaky with the ball at his feet. Back to Alex Bono. We're going to go and we're going to go really high and we're going to come up as a team and we're going to be brave and trust that our goalkeeper's going to come to the edge of his box to help the back line as well. To the Premier League and Liverpool defeat Tottenham by two goals to one to go top of the Premier League uh, title race once again. Uh, the end of the eighth month of this Premier League as we move into April marches in the rearview mirror. Now April Premier League starts this week and Liverpool have two point lead with Manchester City a game in hand after I would say a fortunate victory against Tottenham Hotspur at Anfield. Stephen, would you think that word is too strong? Uh, no, I think you're right, Christian. Uh, fortunate is the word that I would think about. They were well outplayed in the second half. They outplayed Spurs in the first half without creating any great opportunities. So um, I, I think it was a pretty even game. So in that regard, you would say 1-1 was probably fair. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, but obviously it comes down to some of the big moments at the, in the penalty boxes as usual. Tottenham, um, again, lost another game. Uh, maybe we'll get to them in a second. But the story right now is Liverpool. And the goal at the end, any question that it was a blunder by Lloris? Oh, definite blunder. Should like, catch uh, the ball, should he not? Awful. Yeah. Awful blunder. One of the most rudimentary catches for yeah. a, a goalkeeper of Larissa's standing and prestige that you'll ever see. You know, it's 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 literally one that you, you just catch. And, and the calamitous way that he, he deflected it onto Alderweireld, 
and then the confusion as he put his right arm out. I thought Alderweireld could have cleared it, but right. Larice again yeah. went for the ball, and I think he felt he was going to break his goalkeeper's arm by swinging his foot out. Right. And for it to go over the line was just uh, an awful goal for Spurs to lose, and they didn't deserve that. But again, when it comes to the fine margins, they were caught wanting. They were. Hugo Lloris, uh, Sergio Rico, and Jordan Pickford all now got more points for Liverpool this year than Daniel Sturridge, <laughs> at least. <That's> <laughs> but yeah, what about these opposition goalkeepers against Liverpool? Oh. It's ridiculous. Um, but some would say they're riding the luck. Others would say they're finding ways to win. There are different ways to look at this. Um, but at the moment, I think Klopp was pretty honest in his reflection after the game where he said, can we play better? Absolutely. I think we've seen a consistent pattern over the weekend in the Premier League from these clubs that when you got them back from international duty, they're just hanging in, aren't they, yeah. at this point? they're just it, There's no fluidity to the way they play. No. Obviously, City, I mean, they had... They were cruising down the Thames at half, an, half an hour into the match, <laughs> yeah. but that's against Fulham. They yeah. dominated him. But other than that, there was a, a problem with United on the weekend. Again, I don't think Tottenham were great in the first half until they made some adjustments and Son came yeah. on and made a big difference. Liverpool, again, I don't think they were at the best, but they got the job done. And so I guess as Liverpool fans are walking away from Anfield, that will be the overriding emotion. No relief rather than concern right now. It's all that matters. The three points are all that matters. We can talk about it all we want. We can then ask questions in the next game because mm. we're, we're, we're not seeing the Liverpool that, that we expect or that we saw in the first half of the season. But it's actually irrelevant. It's just look at the game, next game, go there, away or home, get three points, move on. It's literally all about that at the moment for KJ. For, for both sides, it's just that City are doing it with a panache, aren't they? And Liverpool are just stuttering along. Uh, first half, I thought they were pretty good. Again, their playmakers are their fullbacks. Robertson was the best player apart for me. Alexander Arnold, not far behind them. Just brilliant, caused problems for brilliant, the, the, yeah. the, the three slash five at the back from Tottenham. They just had so much space, and Robertson uh, in particular was delivering it really early. Well, and Tottenham it, didn't have a shape to, fi to figure him out, did they? No, it they, was bizarre. It was, it was a very deep five, and then they almost had like Sissoko yeah. and Ericsson and Ali, and they moved, shifted over both to the left a lot of the time. Yeah. So when Robertson received the ball, by the way, what a pass, but across Great for ball. the goal. But when he had it, to the, the the few seconds before it, and I know they just won the ball back, but yeah. there was just nobody there to to to, to be tight enough. On there it. was that in between of of the press from Spurs that, that that a little bit what I was talking about with TFC when teams are going to play against them that if you get in between against good sides, it's a big problem because then you have a decision to make. Normally your decision is, oh, I need to go and address this guy and then they play around you. And it was uh, it, it was poor from Spurs and uh, Trippier's had a difficult season and I thought particularly he was he was really average again because he got caught too far in alongside uh, Alderweireld and then when he decided to go and step, there was that space or he was reluctant to step because of that space for, for Manny to drift in. A terrific job done by, by Salah and Manny of just keeping them back, not not being too wide and not being too narrow. It was really great spacing from Liverpool and it allowed the fullbacks to come into the play and to dominate the game from the areas. And, um, you know, the subtle things like Milner kind of drifting out to that left-back area that allowed Robertson to go high. Their shape was great in the first half and, and they deserved the lead. But in the second half, Pochettino, as we would expect, a couple of little tweaks, a couple of little changes and, and, and maybe a, a few choice words to some players who were I'm not sure. the races for Spurs. Yeah. And then we saw a different Tottenham Hotspur and we saw way more cohesion to their attacks and the game started getting played, you know, 40 yards further forward and Liverpool's defensive half and they were dominating the play. Liverpool to go have Southampton away on Friday night. Uh, Chelsea at home 
Cardiff away, Huddersfield at home, Newcastle away, and Wolves at home. Yeah. Uh, would you expect them to win all six? Yes. You do? Yes. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yes. Or so, I should say they're going to have to win all six. So you think they're going to have to win all six? I think the next two are absolutely key. Yeah, they If are. they win the next two, I think they win all six. Right. So if they win all six, that would get them 18 points. Yeah. That would get them to 97 points. It's crazy. Uh, it's crazy. And they'll probably uh, but lose that might league. not be enough. <laughs> Um, I think they'll lose the league. I think City will win every game you think as well. City going to win every game? I do. Manchester City then for the, for the relevance of the conversation. Cardiff at home Wednesday. We have that on TSN. Crystal Palace away. Tottenham at home. Manchester United away. And they finish with Burnley away. Leicester at home. And Brighton away. So I think there's some tough games there. Yeah. I, I think both these teams are going to slip up again. Do you? I do, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know where or when, but I do think they're going to slip up. And I just think that potentially... I said on TSN, and I think this is true, I think... The Cardiff at home victory for me is 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 a definite for City. They could play the second eleven, although Neil Warnock said he might play his under twenty three kids. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe it'll be a battle of both second elevens and that. Um, but they'd still get beat Cardiff. Sorry. Um, um, so so let's just say if you listen to this past Wednesday, you're already with us. But Manchester City have gone to eighty points and they lead the league by one yeah. point with six to go. Then they have a run of Palace away, Tottenham at home, and Man United away, and I think they are tough. Oh, they're tough. They are tough. No doubt. So you, if you win all them three, you've won the league, I think. Yeah. Because if you come through that, and that that would get you to 89 points with three to go. You, If you're telling me they're, they're, they're leading the league with three to go, and they've got Burnley away, Leicester at home, and Brighton away, they're going to do it, aren't they? Yeah. I, 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 think, I, I think they'll do it. If they can get through that. By the way, Palace away was tough for them last year. They it was. There. And Tottenham at home, they're, they're coming in between, coming off Champions League games, which is never easy to play teams yeah. three times. And then obviously United away. So win them three I think they'll win the league but I'm not convinced they will win all them three I'm not saying they're not going to win the league but I yeah. think that'll be tough I, I think it'll be tough I, I'm not denying that but I just I fancy them to do it the, the, the first one the next one's always the hardest Palace away will be difficult it'll be you know the expectation and against a team that'll be well set up Royal mm. have them organised and defensive and, and so I see that as being a real challenging match the other ones, I know they're playing against quality opposition and, and Spurs and Manchester United, but it's a bit more of a football match. Manu will probably be defensive, but I, I think City will be up for that one. They'll beat Manchester United. And then I think Burnley away is a key game because mm. Sean Dyche probably just wants a point for that game. He's going to be so defensive. The stadium's going to be rocking. It's just going to be one of the ones I feel if they've not scored within the first 45, 60 minutes, the anxiety is going to ramp up to another level. So to to me, I see that as a key one. But like, I think we said this in the show yesterday, we look at these games, oh, there, there's the three points and this might be a, a difficult one. Yeah. We don't know. They're all going to be difficult. Yes. It's going to get tense. I just think, I'll say this, what my point, my overriding point is, is if I think if Liverpool win every game, I think they'll win the league. Yeah. I just don't think they will. Okay. I, that's that's what my point. I, I think if they win every game, ninety-seven points, I think you'll win the league. I'm just not sure both these teams will win the league yet. As you said, lots of twists and turns, and we'll continue to follow those. Um, the race for fourth is definitely on, as yeah. well as the Premier League. Spurs lose their game again. Um, I saw a note today; they've now lost double-digit games in the Premier League this season. I think Arsenal are the only team wants to reach that and make the top four. Uh, Spurs sixty-one points after thirty-one games. Manchester United sixty-one points after thirty-one as well. Spurs just have a superior goal difference. This is being taped before Arsenal's Monday night game. They have 60 with 30 game, 30 and Chelsea 31. Chelsea beat Cardiff 2-1 in the Neil Warnock match that everyone's now talking yeah. about after the controversial decision to award the Cesar Azpilicueta 
clear offside goal, a goal that led to Chelsea's comeback. Chelsea, by the way, I'll just say this. Um, if you need an offside goal and a 91st minute win to beat, to, to beat Cardiff, and, and nobody has, has, has been a stronger backer, I don't think, than us, that of Mauricio no. Sarri, but you're in massive problems, okay? Yeah. What, a, what a shambles of a football club they are right now. A yeah. disaster of a club. A, an absolute disaster. And that says nothing about Cardiff, I get it. You know, no. they've, they've, they've been in a lot of games, they've battled hard, but you, what are you doing messing around with them, waiting until the 91st minute to win a game? Yeah. I'm sure your fans all cheered and delighted going back to London. You should. We talk about Liverpool fans not having major concerns leaving the stadium i'm glad you cheered that game because you you'd have major concerns about chelsea right now yeah and some of the the apathy from the the support was was they really wanted, bad they were cheering for steve holland in the second half to yeah replace Sarri, it so. was sorry out every single supporter and mm. you, you know that the cameras the match feed that i was watching went on them and they were just going crazy so you know it's that's never it's, nice is it no I've been it's there horrible as a fan. i've been there as media it's toxic when it gets like and that. we've been we've been very complimentary sorry and we've we've said give him time we've hoped that he'll he'll get a chance to show what he's capable of but when you start to see that and you see another horrible performance by chelsea just lacking in so many areas and just basically luck and a decision mm -hmm. that got them out of the, the the hole that we're in to get the three points it just you just wonder how long it's going to last you know the fans are against you the board seem to be on the fence at best and the players don't seem to be playing for you and you don't seem to be bringing any answers or energy from the touchline or from your post-match pre-match conferences um I think the, begin the, the, the beginning of the end, the end is coming for Maurizio Sarri. My final point on this, and then before we get to Shawnee, is this. I, I think, you know, we're, we're, I always say this as jurors, we can only really present our verdicts of the evidence that we're given to, right? Yeah. But I always find with Chelsea, when Mourinho was there, when Antonio Conte was there, and now with Sarri there, I think they're almost... Not too honest because that's a really that's good for us because we know, but they're so blunt in a lot of their press conferences. I just feel like they genuinely go home and don't like these players. Yeah, and now that that's a toxic problem for the club. And I've seen this many times with Sarri now. You know, I'm sure he's a nice enough guy, but he looks like he doesn't care what yeah. he says publicly about these players. And I thought it after the match, but I thought it before. You know, when I thought it before, when he said that thing to say about Callum Hudson Odoi, when he was asked, "Did yeah. you watch Callum Hudson Odoi yeah. play for England?" And he's like, "I've got all these." international games to watch I saw about 20 minutes of him he started struggling and you know we've all worked for those bosses in life where you go this guy's or this lady or this guy he's never happy with me no matter how much I, <laughs> yeah. I get that feeling if you're Hudson Adoy yeah and you played well and you were playing your international debut in a European qualifier for England yeah I don't care whether your manager hasn't seen you a second when he gets up there in front of the press lie yeah just say you what a great to. occasion for him made his international debut it meant the world to him he's buzzing in training today you can see he's come back with an extra don't come on and say I only saw 20 minutes of it and I don't watch too much now I had all these other players to watch by the way you didn't need to watch a guy on 67 Caps. Yeah, exactly. Just watch him yeah. and give you your thoughts about him. So it just appease what people think about you. And he doesn't care though. No, it's like his whole attitude has just changed, isn't it? He's just got no... <laughs> it's almost like, well, I'm not coaching a team for the next couple of weeks. I'm not even going to watch football. Right. I'm going to just get away from it. And I agree with you that the, the relationship he has with the players, and it's been the same with, with everyone that's that's managed Chelsea in recent years. It's, it's not there and... He's a man that looks broken. He looks defeated. And we're talking about world-class managers here. So what is going wrong? What is happening at that football club that these guys are, are just... They don't have answers. They're looking at the, the, the press and they're saying, 
I don't know. I can't explain that second half for... I don't know why we, we turned up like that. These are world-class managers, the best managers in the world. Don't know why the players are not going out there. How frustrating must that be? And how hard is it to keep your motivation in that? Uh, last one in this for me, and I, I think you just have to say, Warnock was terrific after the game. Yeah, I get why he says it, but people make mistakes. I have to say this, KJ. And, you know, the fact that we're saying, you know, this linesman has to get it right and almost like he doesn't care. Mm. He doesn't feel any remorse from the decision. He'll say sorry and he'll, he'll move on. And I don't like that. And I want to make a point about that because I'm seeing it more and more from managers as if like my job's on the line here and I care about this more than anything. And these guys who pretty much 90 odd percent yeah, of the time do point. wonderful jobs are like, you know, that guy will be extremely disappointed. He won't be going, he'll be struggling no, to sleep. He will. Yeah. And he'll know the impact that he's had on people's lives. And yeah. I think that we have to say that officials do the best job they can do. They're human. They make mistakes. Another example, let's get VAR into the Premier League. Yeah. We know it's going to come. It needs to come quickly because that decision would have been overturned and it could have been critical to Cardiff's survival and obviously top four. And remember that next season when everyone's moaning in the Premier League that yeah. VAR's taking too long. Because you can't have it both ways, but there is a, genu a genuine lack of respect to officials and it's almost this, it, there's this bubble that players are, the, are guilty as well. Players and managers live in that they believe they care more than anybody yeah. else and that's not true. Shawnee, over to you now for... Uh, Ask our headlines first. I've got the rundown all wrong. Today. Yeah, no problem at all. <laughs> Moving on to headlines. It's uh, pretty uh, Canadian content heavy, but uh, but we got a couple other from uh, Europe in there. Uh, earlier in the week, uh, we found out the groups for Nation League, and Canada has been drawn in the group of death with the United States and Cuba. Thoughts on your group, and what excites you the most about Canada versus the United States? Uh, well, we did the game. And yeah. I spent a lot of time with the players in Vancouver and there's a genuine desire now from everybody to be um, playing at a more competitive level. There's a genuine desire now that they've accomplished what they needed to do, but they want to be tested. And we're going to see that in the Gold Cup anyway. But I think the great thing about this new, the, this whole new international calendar for CONCACAF teams is that it doesn't stop. It doesn't just wait for major tournaments, CONCACAF or World Cup qualifiers or World Cups. It's after that is this new Nations League. And yeah. this is why Canada worked hard to get where they were. And um, I think this is the best present they could ever have received, getting the United States. This team needs a challenge. We're starting to see errors and mistakes come into the play because it's been far too easy for them. And I think... John Herdman will welcome this as well because I, I, I'm sure with the level of detail that he goes into that he's seen it as well. But I thought it was one of the 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 worst performances I've seen from Canada and it was a comfortable victory. It was always going to be with the quality that they have. But there was tactical errors there. There was space. There was some poor decisions from French Guiana that, that could have been exploited. So they, they need these games. They need competitive matches. It's going to be exciting. They also want hype, this team. Herman's been asking for it for, for weeks, you know. Bring it on. We're ready. We can handle this. And we're going to see the ones that, you know, wear that shirt and grow and sort of, you know, uh, put the, the, the chest back and, and, and become taller and, and, and sort of more confident. And so we're going to see that. We're going to find out the ones who are capable of that. Can't wait. Exciting games. Um I think Canada can pose the US challenges, but because they're in a bit of transition as well, but mm. we'll have to wait and see because it's been too easy for too long. Yeah, and that's why the this whole thing's come up now is that they've been giving them an opportunity to, to to get in that situation, and also the fact that the the games are going to bring real hype. 
you know yeah you get to play them you get you know you get to play them home and away you know you get to play four competitive games here and there's a little bit of okay the 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 relegation factor in there as well you don't want to finish bottom of course so that helps you keep the cuba games big as well so that's a decent challenge it is a challenge yeah a real challenge so happy for that and um an exciting 2019 ahead for the men's team Finally, Ole Gunnar Schalksar was given the United job. Uh, I think we both know your thoughts by <laughs> by now, uh, but what does he need to do for next season to keep United fans happy? Well, I think United fans are going to be happy for some time with him, and which gives him a lot of a lot of rope. I think what does he need to do to keep United fans happy? Well, I think they continue to have to win. They're going to have to win big games. I think they're going to have to be in contention to win trophies. And I think that they're going to have to continue to be a Champions League team. If you start dipping out of that top four, then that will be a problem. Their their aspirations are higher than what I've just mentioned. Yeah. He has aspirations to take United back to where they belong, and that is contending for the major trophies at the very top. Right now, there's a massive gap between them and the rest, and that we're talking about Liverpool and Manchester City in terms of quality, in terms of points. Um but yeah, we 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 talked about this on Saturday in the Premier League on TSN a little bit, bemused by the timing of it. But for me, I want to see him do something that I don't think he's done yet. And maybe you know, this needs time. But I think one of the hardest things in the game, as I said, for managers is uh, how I assess them is take a good player and make him a great player. And that's the next step for me for United is, you know, you've got to take good players and make them great. You can't go out there and just buy great players all the time. So you've got to get players um, and that might be, um, Raphael Varane who's a great player but you're going to go out there and, and get other players that might be Declan Rice that may be Jadon Sancho and when if you get those two players for example and I use them for a reason then you have now got to make them significantly better players during that time and that is a massive test for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as a manager yeah it really is his biggest test I think you know he's did a terrific job as an interim manager and I thought in his press conference where he was announced as the, the full-time manager, he still spoke like an interim manager. And so what I want to see from him is is an identity to the way Manchester United play. I don't think he can afford for that to be in that defensive shape on the counter-attack like we're seeing. I think he needs to try and play better football. You cannot beat Liverpool or City at the moment over 38 games playing like that. I, I don't think it's possible. I think you need to match them with the same kind of football that the best teams in Europe play. Uh, so progression, that, that's going to be very difficult to go from where they are right now to actually challenging for the Premier League. So I think you need to see real progression, uh, you know, a, a, a shortage in the gap, points gap between the two in this next season and contending for cups and, and getting to latter stages of the European competition and then obviously heading into his second season. He needs to win trophies. He's the one that's been consistent in telling us that this club should be challenging for Premier League titles and Champion League's trophies. So, you know, I'll give him a year to build towards that and then into that second season, he has to be a legitimate contender. Otherwise, they're in the same place they were under David Moyes, under Louis van Gaal and under Jose Mourinho. Moving on to MLS, Carlos Vela scored a hat-trick in LAFC's 5-0 win this weekend. Is he the best player in Major League Soccer right now? And if not, who is? Without a doubt, yeah. Uh, I'm going to give you a shout out here. I don't remember. I don't remember predictions. I don't remember things that we do very little. <laughs> but I think Shawnee asked us for predictions at the yeah. start of the season. I have no idea who I picked. I don't remember any of that. <laughs> um, I, I I genuinely don't. But I didn't. You say MVP, Carlos Vela? Yes, I did. There we go. Yeah. See, 
Stephen Cole was right. Carlos Vela is the MVP <laughs> of MLS so right far, now. Uh, five games it's March thirty first. Uh, but by the way, what a player he is, and what a team what playing a team. at a tempo um, that has not been seen enough in Major League Soccer. Got, got, got to give them incredible amount of credit. I've watched a lot of Major League Soccer in March. Stevens watched more than me. Might be the only one who has. We've watched. <laughs> we've watched a lot of games between us. In, in fact, we sometimes split games. So you tell me what you think about this. That's what we do. Yeah. I am. Um, sometimes very frustrated at the lack of tempo in MLS games. And I don't understand it right now. It's the new season. And some of these games are played at such a pedestrian pace. It makes me angry yeah. as somebody who, who really is a big proponent of the league and who works in the, in the media in the league and wants to do nothing but the best to play this league up. But I get mad. Yeah. And then I watch LF, LAFC and there's a few other teams, by the way, who mm. like this. And I think they're in a different league. Yeah. People don't want to talk about MLS 1 or MLS 2. I'm a big proponent of it. I think there should be promotion and relegation. And I hope that happens in my lifetime. I think it's the best thing for the league. But forget whether you think you like MLS 1 or MLS 2. It's a fact. It's already happening in front of our eyes. Yeah. Because this team is lights out compared to half of the snooze fests that are going on every weekend right yeah, now. Yeah, they're playing a different game, KJ. They're playing a different level of football. It's it's fast it's it's vertical it's getting through the lines it's it's uh you know good spacing from an attacking point of view and it has two or three wonderful players carlos vela being the most special one the leader the the number 10 the the, the you know the coveted kind of uh, number 10 role that everyone in mls wants want, sorry we talked about Pozuelo and you know, TFC fans hoping that he can be that guy and the style of football that we see that a player like that creates. Well, LAFC are playing that football and they've been playing it since day one of the season. And, uh, you know, the, the the way that they're set up to go is just terrific. I love the uh, midfield combination of Atu Esther and Kate. It yeah. adds that solidity, but they don't mess around. They don't go square. They don't go too deep. They play it forward. They get it in between the lines to Diego Rossi, Carlos Vela, there's some interchange there with the third striker and they create little areas and, and difficulties for defenders that's unique for MLS. They're up there with the best teams. I, I think they're the best team in MLS right now, Sean. I think that Sporting Kansas City, we're going to get them and shortly, are second best. And I think, and I know it's one game, but if TFC keep on that track the way that they were playing on Friday night, I think they might be third. And so... That's the level of football needed to, to, to really be challengers for MLS at the moment, KJ. And Vela's been outstanding and I think he'll keep it up. He's got the hunger. He looks like he, he knows he's the man for this team. And the Sounders, by the way, are up Sounders, there well. sorry. Yeah, yeah they're another know, excellent they're another, team. They're a team up there right now, particularly through, the West through, is strong. through three games, just ran ragged on a lot of teams. With yeah, like, you're right. Ladero has just been a masterclass so far. Uh, Stevie, you mentioned Sporting KC. Uh, Sporting KC 7, Montreal 1. <laughs> what in the world went wrong in Montreal? No piatti, no party. Oh, yeah. <laughs> One man team. <laughs> what can we say? Um, I'll say that I still think they're okay. Yeah. I'll say that I sat down with Samuel Piet in Vancouver and I said to him, I've been watched all 90 minutes of all the games so far that I thought they're a good team. I said, oh, one thing I'm concerned about your team is that you have no depth. And if you lose two or three players, I'm, I'm worried about you. I didn't think they'd lose 7-1, <laughs> but they lost what I think are their two best players yeah. in Ignacio Piatti and Diallo, who's a, who's a formidable force in defense, yeah. both defensively with and without the ball. And without them, they fell apart. Now, they could have been one up after 55 seconds. Yeah, you know, Guanquo. Guanquo with a glorious opportunity. After that, it was... 
very similar to a game we did last year, although the Whitecaps got two men sent off in that game where Sporting Kansas City, when they've got you on the ropes, are ruthless. Yeah, and especially at home. And Gutierrez is, is a class act. Is another one that was up there as another playmaker in MLS that's yeah. come over. Um, so it's just one of those days where I don't think there's a lot to read into this in terms of Montreal. It's not a sackable game or it's not no. a character problem. Yeah. Um, but I do think they were significantly found out by a team that is better with a better than them anyway and they didn't have the best players no significantly weakened you know you're going to lose your best center half and your best striker you're going to be significantly significantly weakened and and they certainly were but there was concerns there for me and and they played against one of the best teams in MLS and they were pressed really high and didn't have answers and they continued to play really open football and so they were severely punished by Sporting Kansas City and that would be a concern for me. I'm sure Remy Gard's pondering that right now. When we're not at our best, we need to be tight and we need to be solid. They, They can't afford to play like that again or they're going to get you know a few beatings this season but it was it was poor stuff uh, there was barely a good player in the, in the away top of Montreal Impact on Saturday afternoon uh, everyone was below par Ruti works extremely hard maybe too honest because I'm worried about is he going to get the goals is he between the posts when he needs to be um, that's a concern for me uh, Piet didn't have his best game but he's one of their most consistent players Lovett's been very consistent it wasn't his greatest game either and uh, the gaps down the sides that were just exploited by Sporting Kansas City were were significant and so um, a team that had a good start is now a little bit back to the drawing board and thinking okay if we lose our main man again in Piatti what are we going to do? What's our plan B? What's our different game plan? If they go with the same game plan again, they're going to get another slapping. The Vancouver Whitecaps drew the Sounders on Saturday night. Uh, this is the Whitecaps' first clean sheet and point of the regular season. Thoughts on the match? And is his back line now going to be a strength in 2019? I'll focus on that first. I thought, again, Godoy and Henry were very good. Um as I would expect them to be. You know, yeah. you've got to have that kind of expect cons- consistency and expectation of these two centre-backs. And they've been good almost every game, really. Yeah. Um, so that, I think that was a strength. I thought there's a lot to there's a lot to get into here. Probably not enough time in the headline segment, but there's so many layers to, I think, not only the performance, but the, the perception of the Whitecaps, the realistic expectations of the Whitecaps right now, the philosophy of the Whitecaps. I'll say this, Mark Dos Santos came into the season with, I thought, some very, very bold and buoyant expectations about, about the way that his club wanted to play. Yeah. And he stuck to them through three games. And I thought that in many ways it helped them. It certainly helped them in the second half in Houston where yeah. they were unlucky and they were the better side. It helped them in RSL in certain areas of the game where I thought they were unlucky and they were on the decision on, on the end of the decision. And I think it actually helped them in some areas against Minnesota. So I understand why he wanted to do that. But it has to be said, he completely, completely abandoned his philosophy in this game to get something out of the game against Seattle. Now, I've been very consistent on this process the entire time because when they played like that in the last few years against Seattle, I, on Vancouver Radio, on, te- on television, on every format I've been asked, I've had absolutely zero problems with it. Yeah. And I don't have any problems with it now. And I'll tell you why. Seattle Sounders have got player, players like Raul Ruiz and Nicholas Ladero that yeah. the Vancouver Whitecaps could only dream of having. Yep. Okay, They're not spending the money. They're not getting those players. So when Manchester City come to Bournemouth in the Premier League or Manchester United go to Newcastle in the Premier League and I'm saying I'm okay with Eddie Howe or Rafa Benitez doing his yeah. thing, I'm saying the same thing now. But the Whitecaps, 
last when on the last few years said that wasn't good enough for them. Yeah. Now it is good enough for them because they've changed the story. They've changed the story that right now it's a it's a rebuild and they've gone through that. Pro- so it's okay with them now. And so I'm all right with that. But last night, the reason why it's important to mention this is that last night there was a a real positivity in the stadium in the 90th minute that they were all right with this uh, because I think they've changed the story. Yeah. If this was the manager from last year and the tenure of last year and they played that game, I think that would have been different. And I think that's, I think that might say a lot more about human nature than it says about football. Yeah. A, a completely different atmosphere around BC place just because, uh, you know, it's a new dawn and a new era, but it was the same football against one of the best teams in the West. And I agree with you, KJ, it has to be that football. They might have lost three or four, one, because the quality is just not the same between the two squads. And so I'm I'm with you a little bit. I just think that when you're, you're taking the whole off-season to talk about this new football you're going to play and how it's going to be exciting, it's going to have wingers and... It's going to be, uh, you know, vertical football and all, all the words that Mark DeSantos uses. Then you have a risk of letting people down, letting us down for one when you change that. So that's why I, I always sort of cringe a little bit when I hear a manager say, this is how we're going to play and this is what it's going to be and this is the culture and the values and the style. And Because you don't know. When you need results, you need results. Do it. There's very few managers in the world a Pep Guardiola, a, you know, a whoever, a, a Pochettino, who are a, a Klopp, who have real sort of identity and stick to it pretty much every single game. Barcelona are a, are a football club that stick to it rather than even a manager. Everyone else is in the results business. Everyone else is about winning football games, getting points, getting off to good starts and, and, and just really, in some form, surviving. And that was a performance on Saturday night that was about surviving. It was about picking someone up after a difficult start to season. There'll be better performances and better games ahead. But when you say that you're going to play this style of football and then you go against it, really, eventually, if you keep wavering in your your beliefs and your philosophy, you're going to start getting criticised. Yeah, so let's see. So let's see what happens. Like we said, we can't criticise that. So Whitecaps Nation, if you want to call us negative, we're not being negative. But like I said, I had firm belief that was the way, I think that was the right way to play. But he did play a fullback in a wide attacking area, played three defensive midfielders and he got the job done against a very good Seattle team that battered teams, three teams. And could have won at the end. And could have won at the end. Exactly. But for relevancy, last before we get to Shawnee, the last three home games against Seattle Sound 2017 in the playoffs days after winning 5-0 the last management had 387 successful passes out of 443 this is down on my stats zone app um last year against seattle at home september 15th 376 passes out of a successful uh, successful passes out of 458 attempts and on saturday night just 339 successful yeah. passes so a lot lower possession uh, than in the last two games but like we said we believe that was the right thing to do but we'll see how it moves forward uh, moving on to Europe for a bit, uh, reigning champion uh, Bayern Munich has accelerated their tasks revamping the squad by signing defender Lucas Hernandez from Atletico Madrid for uh, reported 800 million, uh, sorry, 80 million. <laughs> uh, firstly, how does this move affect Munich? And then secondly, is this just another day in the life of an Atletico fan? Uh, first of all, I think it's a, a bargain 
I don't think he's that good. <laughs> Some player. He's 23. He he can play left back or centre back. He's a world class defender already. How many times can you actually go out and buy a world class player? Yeah. You know. Um, and so I think it's a brilliant signing for them. Um, he could, like I said, he could play left back, which may have an effect Canadian content wise for Alfonso. But I think he could also play in the left sided of a, of a back two uh, in back centre centre half partnership. And is it another day in the life of Atletico fan? I'm afraid so. Ultimately, that you know, there's a tier in football, and you are in a tier. It doesn't matter where you are. You know, you, you, there's. I always say, you know, if a club above you in that tier wants your player, it's going to be very difficult to hold on to him. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, Atletico Madrid have sta- they've taken players from other teams. If you really want to play from Sevilla, you're going to go get him. There's just a tier, yeah. and you're high on the tier. But guess what? Bayern Munich's higher. Somebody's higher. It, yeah. it was that buyout clause. I think it was. Was yeah. it? It was so. You know, when you have that buyout clause in, it's not in the hundreds of millions, you're going to lose your player, unfortunately. And um, let's focus on the statement from Bayern Munich. They've went and got one of the best defenders in the world. They've just paid whatever it takes. A little bit like we, we said with, with Van Dijk um, going to Liverpool a while back and probably what's going to happen with Koulibaly in the summer as well. Go pay what it takes. Get the guy. One of the big guys are going to do that. the same thing. They've brought in a player who has versatility, who has quality, um, someone that I love. I, I I think he's a better left back, uh, but who knows how his game's going to develop. Maybe he, he will go into centre half because they also have a, a very good Austrian international left back and David Alaba mm-hmm. there as well. So, um, yeah, I, I love it. It's a big move. I feel for Atletico Madrid and I'm wondering if more guys are going to move this summer. Looks uh, like maybe Saul Nogues might go yeah. to City. Is that City? Rumoured, yeah, oh, maybe. Incredible, because he's him? a phenomenal One of my player. favourites, yeah. Yeah, and, and you just feel with Atletico Madrid, you know, the, the, the very damaging result in the Champions League to Juventus is, is something, you know, their coach has always been that cohesion and that gel to that group. He's, he's just a, a world-class leader in the way that he does everything. And at some point, if he feels his time is up there, then... Will that whole team just disintegrate? And, and and we already see maybe the start of that with, with guys like this leaving with the buyout close. Huddersfield has officially been relegated from the Premier League. When you look back at their 2018-19 season, what comes to mind right away? And how long till we see this club return to the Premier League? What comes to my right away is our colleague Joe Del Busso, who's an uh, <laughs> associate producer on our Premier League. He goes me Guinness, doesn't he? He does, I think, yeah. The, uh, he decided last season he needed a team and he picked Huddersfield. And he picked Huddersfield and they won 3-1, uh, 3-1 or 3-0, three, uh, yeah. three goals at Palace opening day. Loved it. Uh, loved it. And then Huddersfield was his got team. A shirt got a shirt. Got a shirt, ordered a jacket, everything. <laughs> And that lasted about, I don't know, 14 months or so. And then he started to feel like he needed to change his team. And so how long until we see the club return to the Premier League? I'll be shocked if that's in the near future. Yeah, I don't think it will come in the near future. It might never come again. Yeah, uh, The success of the club is amazing though, isn't it? It is, yeah. You know, that to, to survive that first season was, was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And it was negative football and it was difficult to watch, but it was... Again, the only way David Wagner could could play to get results for his team. And so um, whatever you think about it, it delivered results. And then in the second season, it's it's, it's, it's been a real toil. Uh, and I, I tell you, he doesn't owe me a pint yet, because eh? I said well, they'd finish right. bottom. To finish bottom. So yeah. Fulham's dismal performances are just keeping <laughs> them in it. So right. maybe I, I owe Joe a couple of pints. <laughs> but yeah, I don't see them coming back. You actually KG. owed him 10 last season. That was the other bet, just for the record, <laughs> that you bet they'd get relegated. 
And they didn't. And it was that performance at Etihad, it wasn't was, it, where yeah. they just parked the bus. Squeaked it out. Oh, my. Can you imagine Huddersfield as one of the worst Premier League teams ever drew 0-0 against one of the greatest Premier League teams <laughs> it's ever? It's crazy, isn't it? We did the game. We're just like, to be fair, Man City, had, they'd, they'd already won the league. Yeah. Just passed the ball around. It looked like they're playing on the beach. Yeah. They, they didn't really care about <laughs> no. scoring, you know? Anyway, I'll, that's thanks for the memories, Huddersfield. It was, yeah. it was a pleasure. Last one for headlines. Uh, the Canadian Premier League will reveal all seven club kits on Thursday. Uh, in honor of the excitement, uh, what was slash is some of your favorite kits from your childhood or playing or what have you? Oh, Give me some nostalgia. I wish I had a lot more time to prepare for this. Oh, I know. I this is a my, whole podcast. I love my kits. Yeah, I actually too. got a book at home that was gifted to me, the best like international kits of all time, and it goes through all the years and everything. Yeah. Like, some real kit nerds out there, right? Oh. Oh, I'm, so, I'm not a kit nerd, but I do love my kits. Well, I was, go ahead. I don't know if I was a kit nerd, but I had a, uh, uncle and an aunt, my uncle Thomas, my aunt Aileen would buy me a shirt every single birthday and every single uh, Christmas. Amazing. But they would find obscure shirts back in the day. Okay. I mean, you got Scottish shirts, and but it was difficult to go and get other shirts. Yeah. So one that I always remember was, I guess, in maybe... 88, 89, Chelsea turquoise shirt. Yeah, Do you yeah remember I remember it? that, yeah. So it was random shirts. I never really supported, I supported Celtic, but I never really supported any other team. So right. it was, they would find these random shirts for us in, in Glasgow or different places. And mm. we'd always look forward to that. That one springs to mind for me. Scotland tartan kit, maybe around about 98. That was some kit, KJ. Yeah. You yeah. gotta love that one. Come on, come on. I can't go there. Come on. It, but yeah, whatever. What I'll, else? Give it, I'll give it you. Yeah. What um, else? I go back to the, the tournament that I always go back to, which was the way you watch things through the eye of a child is very different. Yeah. You can never watch anything the same again. Um, you know, the uh, 1990 World Cup. Germany? Uh, Germany. Oh, what yeah, strip. That was, uh, and by the way, shout out to the Women's World Cup strip this year for 2019. It's very similar. Is it? Yeah, so it's amazing. Nice. I've not seen that so yet. The Germany strip in 1990, England's kits in 1990. Oh, come uh, on. I gave you Scotland. And white. No, the blue. Tartan. The blue, the oh, blue yeah. one. That the was, that one was, was a good. really nice kit yeah. um, as well. Italy with the collar, with the Baggio. Oh, that, that was amazing. That so it's amazing. all about 1990 for me. Uh, I like black kits as well. Villa had a black kit. Yeah. That was a couple in the late 90s. I love all black strips. That was a really good one as well. Uh, but there's so many. The Sweden with the blue uh, stripes oh, in the amazing. corner. Adidas. Yeah, you remember yeah. that one? Yeah, I remember that one so, well. there's, 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 there's some great strips. And... I had the black Manchester United kit with gigs on the back. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah, I remember <laughs> that one. Oh, oh, yeah. I loved it. Yeah, that was a great, that was a great one I as well. One. Can we the, do this again, the, please? The, the one, yeah, let's go back to the, uh, <laughs> the disgusting green and yellow Man United kit. The oh, ni- God, I think I had that as well. 1994. Yeah. Uh, uh, 25 years, by the way, this week, I was in, I was in the stadium. Uh-huh. 25 years ago, this week, the uh, Coca-Cola Cup uh, final, League Cup final, Aston Villa three, Manchester United one. Um, you know, Kinchelskis got sent off in the last second. Yeah. Gillian Atkinson, and Dean Saunders scored. Kevin Richardson played in midfield. Kevin Ma- Richardson, man of the match at Sunderland, man of the match, Great maestro guy. midfield. And uh, to this day, the highlight of my uh, fandom as a footballer. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, I got the I got the ticket the night before. Amazing. Single ticket the night before my dad, what a dad, drove me all the way down there, let me go in, and then got himself a single ticket three sections across that day. It was oh, a uh, shout out to Kevin Richardson. What a guy. You yeah, what a guy. There you go. Not, a bad for a, coach at not bad what for a 16-year-old, but 1994 uh, League Cup final 
United were going for the treble Man and Villa were four to one to win that game oh. in a match, four to one. I remember the Villa League Cup game when Milosevic- I was the, there too, uh, 96, right. Leeds. Leeds, yeah. two was years later. Three nil? Um, it was three nil, uh, yeah. yeah, or three one. Yeah, three, right. yeah big three, performance, dominated. wasn't it? Three yeah. Nil, yeah. Milosevic. I love Milosevic. Here's the other story about Slava Milosevic, who's just got a big job, by the way. He's Has just he? got a manager's job somewhere. Wow. Um, so the, we were outside the ground at Wembley, all the stadium walking at Wembley Way, and all the Leeds fans were chanting Savo Miles Widovich because he was called Savo Misalotovic or Savo Miles Widovich because he was bad on he his had day. This thinker, but I always loved yeah, him. Yeah, I know. He everyone was so did. stylish. Like, so he? stylish. Left foot, unbelievable. And actually, went another, another story about Milosevic in a second. Me and my brother went to in the Villa end at Blackburn once, and we watched the warm up for 25 minutes, and he never put the ball in the net. <laughs> The whole time, in, no one's in there. He's shooting and he never went in the net. And we watched him the entire time. And actually, he, he, it was in his head. So as they're all players were over enough, he gets the ball and he's like, I'm going to shoot. I want to try. He shot it from halfway and he still missed. <laughs> and we looked at each other and go, this could be an alarming day. We lost 5-0 and he spat in the crowd at a Villa fan. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I remember, remember that. that? Yeah. yeah. And Brian and, and Villa, Villa fans talk about hostile environments. And we were in the Villa end. They were shouting, Brian Little, time to be sacked and all that. Was, yeah. You're not fit to wear the shirt and all that. It was horrendous. <laughs> But yeah, Savile Malswadovich, Leeds fans taunted him, 25-yard screamer into the top corner. What a goal it yeah. was, I remember it. Brilliant. Anyway, that's enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is it uh, on the headlines. Before we get to hashtag AskAFP, we wanted to chat quickly about our upcoming Top 50 Premier League Players podcast that we will be recording at Season's End. We want to engage with you. And of course, we are not just going to ask you for your Top 50 but we'd love to have some fan participation for that episode. We want your 2018-19 Premier League Best 11. Send them via Twitter by using hashtag AskAFP and you will have a chance to win some KJ and Caldwell merchandise. Oh, yes. Not done that for a while. No. Um, but Stevie, we have a handful of games left in the season. Do you think your best 11 is locked in right now or are there still players to break uh, in? Great question. I think I'm... Probably about there with my there, 11. Yeah. yeah, maybe one or two positions, but uh, not give it great thought. But I mean, when yeah. I'm thinking about it now in my head. We're I'll all about close. stretching the thinking now. We're going to go to 50. So yeah, we're gonna, 50. You're going to rank your 50. I'm going to yeah. rank my 50. We're going to come up with a cum with, with uh, cumulative <laughs> rankings. And then we're going to put out our top 50 That'll players. But we do want your best 11. Uh, so send them to us. And by the way, just one small thing. Um, I know I've battered MLS already on this podcast, <laughs> but you know the MLS best 11s at the end of the year when they've got like five strikers yeah, and two, yeah. two playmaking midfielders? Pick a proper Don't team. Don't send me one of them, yeah. all right? Because you won't get a shout out and you'll get no merchandise. Yeah. So if you want to pick team can't Sergio play Aguario, Mo Salah, Raheem Sterling, yeah. you know, Roberto yeah. Firmino, Bernardo Silva and David Silva, you're out. So make a decision. Oh, I've got decisions to make after you just went through their names. <laughs> make a decision. Anyway, uh, we've gone very long as we often do. Back to Shawnee for hashtag ask AFP and a reminder send them in all week we love to read them yeah we got a lot this week um let's uh let's get at them uh Dylan Dyson asks who is the next former star player to take the reins of a big club oh wow didn't give this one much thought oh, I, I <laughs> now. Um, yeah I didn't think I didn't think about the big club thing I did think Beckham yeah. Because, um, by the way, shout out to Beckham. He was in a really nice white suit at the Bahrain Grand Prix on the grid today. I didn't see uh, it. Well, he looked, he looked amazing. cool. Yeah. As uh, always. As always. Yeah. Does he ever look bad? You know? Um, but yeah, uh, Beckham, I think, he's not a big club right now, but I think he's going to be, I don't think he's going to be this ambassador role in Miami. I think he's going to be heavily involved. You think? I really yeah. do. Yeah. I think you're going to hear him a lot, see from him a lot. Yeah. I, I'm not expecting him to see him on the touchline anytime no. soon, but I think it's not just like, 
flying every now and no, again. No, I think he's going to be a yeah. big face. Do you agree? I think he will. Yeah, I don't think he'll coach, but I, I think he'll be the president or you know some kind of role like that. Big time it, involvement. Yeah, he'll be involved and he'll be there, and I think he should, and I think that will bring you know real cachet to MLS and of course the Inter Miami uh, when that happens. Who else? Um, Javi Hernandez. Javi Hernandez. Barcelona. Yeah. yeah. John Terry, good one. shout. John Chelsea. Terry. Frank Lampard. Potentially, yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah. either of the two guys, I could see them. Uh, if they go back to Chelsea, maybe they will actually build a culture because you can't suddenly yeah. turn on the manager when it's one of them two, can no you? No way. They two are two of the greatest leaders in the history of that football club. Maybe that's what it takes. Terry's the best captain that, that's ever been for Chelsea, in my opinion. And the culture that he built as a player to give him even more power as a, a head coach, who knows? And maybe Frank's the tactical side of that. I'm not suggesting John yeah. isn't, but maybe, Frank and maybe JT it's a at double. The wheel. That would be pretty cool. Frank and JT at the yes. wheel for Chelsea. There you go. That's the way to go now. Bringing back former legends, just sticking them. <laughs> what can go wrong? Uh, going back to talk about the national team, uh, Tim asks... Uh, or he suggests that uh, Canada play out in Halifax. Uh, he really wants home field advantage. Um, do you guys have any specifics on where Canada should play? Um, all I will say is having been to Vancouver is I like them spreading the na- across the nation. It was a really encouraging crowd. I thought it was a good, intelligent crowd in Vancouver, actually 17,000 for a game that wasn't ultimately that important. So I would suggest that Halifax, although it sounds nice, is is absolutely not going to happen. Um, and so I would suggest probably there'll be one game in home game in the Nations League against the US and Toronto, likely. Yeah. And then maybe they can play in Vancouver for a game against against Cuba. I don't know. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm the same as you. It, it sounds nice. It could move it around the country, especially with CPL. Uh, home pitches throughout Canada now. But... I personally think BMO Field, just because, and, and I love BC Place, but it's tough, and I, I think it affects the football, so I, yeah, I'd rather point. see it played on grass, and I think you want to play your biggest games at BMO Field and try and get it packed and get a great atmosphere there. Yeah, that'd be great. You start the game in US-Canada, yeah. you know, you yeah, Bradley, definitely. maybe even Altador, who knows exactly, at that point. Yeah. So. Jamie asks, who had a better debut slash goal in Major League Soccer, Slatten <laughs> or Pozuelo? <laughs> Uh, oh. I think the debut of the best is, is Latan. Yeah. You know, whenever you do that in the in the are we still calling it El Trafico? I heard was it Bob Bradley or some big proponent <laughs> like, like to just, just get rid of this stupid is that name? Right? Yeah. I like El Trafico. <laughs> you like El Trafico. Oh, funny. El Trafico. Um so the goal he scored, which was ridiculous as well, that one where like he just like when he just hit it, ball, he, just, yeah. he just looked like one of those where you yeah. just smack it. It was like the equivalent of like a half court throw and just like buzzer beater in the yeah. NBA, like we just had one in Toronto. Um, but I don't know if it was better than the Pozuelo chip. What do you I think? don't know if it's a better goal, but it's last time was a bigger moment. For it me. was a bigger moment, you know, three yeah. 0 down oh, against yeah. your Come rivals. On. Yeah, you know, everything's falling apart, and the hype and the build up for Zlatan. And I was skeptical. I thought, I don't know if this guy can even play at that level. He'd had these injuries, and he comes on the field, and he's just like a man mountain, isn't he? He's just the 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 presence, just the energy inside that stadium. It was oh, it was certainly one of my my greatest moments watching a match of 2018. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. I think we were all texting. The line erupted, me. didn't it? It was point. incredible, wasn't it? And <laughs> yeah. even the lose offside for that that fourth goal, his yeah. second, it was uh, it was still amazing. Yeah, I think he's probably the winner. Uh, speaking of Pizuelo, uh Dan asks, uh, Stevie, what goal were you on the pitch for that made you just 
drop your jaw in awe. Oh, this is brilliant. I've had two great sections here, KJ. <laughs> Give me 20 minutes. I know here. you yeah. too well. I think I know where you might go here. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Are we, going, so, are we I, going to Highbury on a Friday night or not? <laughs> What's Are we going to Highbury on a Friday night here oh, or no? That no. was a good one. Eh? Right, let's tell that one first then. So Friday night, Highbury, near the end of the season, the Invincibles, and I'm playing for Leeds. And uh, Terry Henry was kind of special around about 2003, 2004. And uh, his fourth goal in a 5-0 win at uh, Highbury was, he was through in goal and, and Gary Kelly had had enough. He thought, I'm just tripping this guy up. I don't want to see the ball go in the back of my net. And as he was falling to the ground, he just managed to still stub his toe into the ground like only Thierry could and, and, and chip it over Paul Robinson into the back of the net. Incredible moment. Just kind of tumbled to the deck and, and scored his fourth and his team's fifth. Amazing to be part of that. Obviously, at the time, it wasn't so amazing. But thinking back, another game that I was a part of that was a special goal, you guys might remember, was uh, was the Shearer volley against Everton. Oh, yeah. I remember you remember that, that one? Yeah, what was that, KJ? That was about 02, something yeah. like that, 03. So. Yeah. One of his anyway, best ever, no? Yeah, and I was playing in that game, and I got substituted in that game, right. which was sort of unusual for a defender, but we were pushing for the win. And uh, I came off and I was watching. We put on a, a forward player and uh, and Shearer hit that thing. I, I've never seen a volley hit like that in my life. And mm. we were sitting on the bench looking at each other going, what just happened there? Uh, and my last one was when I was in the squad, one of the most iconic goals in Premier League history, Bearcamp. I was in the squad that day right. and I, I didn't get stripped. I was upstairs in the, the players' box and it was a big game. It was a Saturday night, if I remember. We were going for the title I say that in inverted commas because it was going to be tough but yeah. we were in the hunt with Arsenal Manchester United and uh, and the ball came into Bergkamp and he did that special little touch with his left round Dabby's ass slotted it uh, past Given, what a moment looking at each other you know the, the, the pros that weren't playing in that game staring at each other in disbelief we 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 think he meant that we're watching the replays and you know as that moment was sinking in again I hope we're here in 10 years time talking about Friday night spots well but to think back to where you were at that moment Shawnee was unbelievable really special what about you KJ that was a great goal uh, you know what I love about those moments is that is that I think I think it's important to recognize when they happen that you instantly know that that's special yeah and you put it into context of history and I guess that's just comes with experience yeah. doesn't it I guess when we've been around it um the best goal I've ever seen live was 2006 World Cup Argentina oh, Cambiasso's goal. goal I was in the stands uh, as a fan my first ever World Cup game as a fan and I took Jenny my wife and we we went to the game and were five rows from the front and there was so much going on. We were right near the Argentina end and the Argentina fans were, it was unbelievable that day. It was against Serbia Montenegro. They won 6-0 and there was the, the, all the passes in a row, 34 consecutive passes in a row and Cambiaso scores. And because I've been so invested in the game and this is even before the phones come yeah. out and everybody's watching it. When he scored, every well, a lot, everybody around me and I... I instantly turned to my wife. I'm like, oh my goodness, that's one of the greatest goals of all time. Yeah. And instantly said it immediately. You know what I mean? And he like, as soon as it goes in and you have that thought yeah. immediately. And I, and I just like, that was incredible. You know, that's for me. Some was, passing move, oh, wasn't it? That was, a, that was, that was the best goal I've ever seen live. There's been lots of good ones. Um, but yeah, that was pretty special. Um, I also love the one when I also, we were both Jenny and I were there again in the new camp when, 
Messi was going to take a penalty and he passed it to Suarez. Oh yeah. That was, we were there for that, that game. Was incredible. 6-1 against Celta Vigo. That was, as soon yeah. as that happened too, I said to her, we've just witnessed something that, again, something people are going to never, ever going to forget. We were at that game. You know, it's, it's, that's amazing. Yeah. So that was, that was pretty This is another good well. one, Sean. We need to go back to this. I'm but just yeah. thinking about all the moments in history where you think we'll do another Scotland show. goals, England goals, go. you know. David, uh, they, they were the ones I was David at. Platt. David Platt, 1990 oh. World Cup goal. I lived on that for years. Gascoigne, 96. <laughs> that's right. Oh. Gascoigne, 96 a game I sold tickets to. I'll oh, tell, I'll that was crazy. I'll, I'll tell no, no, later. I'll tell another day. And no regrets. I'll tell you what I did with the money one day. <laughs> uh, Maggie asks, how long of a leash does Frank DeBoer have left in Atlanta? Uh, let me check my phone short. to make sure he's still on got the job. <laughs> Very um, short. Uh, right now, currently spelt uh, Frank DeBoer in Atlanta. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, uh, they lose again on the weekend to Columbus. First time in Atlanta United short history that both Michael Parkhurst and Jeff Lorenz which didn't start the game. Mm. He's throwing mud against a wall right now, trying to make it stick. Viaba's back in for the last two matches. Yeah. Um, Pity Martinez missed the game. Obviously, international duty was involved as well. But um, he did tell me when we had that interview that we had on the show that he expected it to be a tough season. But boy, oh boy, he didn't expect it to be Crystal Palace revisited yeah. with the MLS champs. This is a disaster so far. Yeah, that's why it's such a big disaster because you've got Crystal Palace in the back of your mind. And I'm sure he has as well. Inter Milan as well. Inter Milan was a disaster too. So, you know, I, I've, I've always had great respect for Frank DeBoer, not just as a, a wonderful player, but as a, a coach. He was in Ajax for six or seven years and did a tremendous job there. But he's up against it here. He really is. He started with a 3-4-3. It was a 4-3-3 at the weekend, I think, you know, a bit more uh, solid. And I think it needs to be like that. And he's he's having big problems yes they lost Almiron but there's still a ton of talent there Martinez is not firing I think a criticism of De Boer's in the past is his relationship with the players and that seems to be uh, from the outside a little bit of an issue as well so I think his leash is pretty short KJ and uh, you better pick up a win or two soon or they, they might go in a different direction yeah but they've only gone with big names haven't they yeah. so far so the one thing that 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 does is that maybe that makes it more pressure for him because with the end of the European season coming, whoever that might be, yeah, there might be a, 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 some slots there available. It. So yeah, um, boy, oh boy, big story developing MLS that we didn't necessarily see coming a few weeks ago, Shawnee. Last question, Forever as Forever Red asks, if you guys were coaching United, what position would you play Paul Pogba? Hmm. And there's rumours this week, by the way, that Pogba leaving again for United with, I think Zidane was quoted yeah. as saying that I would... Well, Pogba started that again, having, didn't Well, he? once the interna international yeah. duty's great it's for great. that, eh? Just get away and start mate, getting the rumours out mate there. mate Courtois was stirring it up again in oh, front of the microphone. Don't talk to me about him. Absolute belt. Sick of him. I'm sick of him. <laughs> as soon as he went away, I'm like, here he goes again. Oh, I know. You know, everybody, yeah. these managers, just don't, the, the press office of the Premier League must be like <laughs> losing my, their minds, these players. Belgium seems to be the worst, by the way. Oh, of course. Hazard, Alderweireld, yeah. all having a chat with the media. Well, might be interested in a different move. Um, things have been going well, but, you know, they're just like, plan the agents are like, here we go, boys. Yeah. We've got about a 10-day window. Get all the plant yeah. seat out there. All the press have got nothing to write about. Yeah. No games going on. It's almost bigger than the international games themselves. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Pogba started that. So where would we start? Where would we play him? I think 
is probably best in where he's put playing right now with Solskjaer a little bit higher up. Although Solskjaer still doesn't really have any idea because yeah. on the weekend we did the game. We haven't talked about it here. United beat Watford by two goals to one. A very uninspiring game. Luke Shaw in the press conference afterwards said we were awful in the yeah. second half and they were his words and they were. They were very fortunate. I did the game. I showed it tactically at halftime where he made the change during the 20 minutes into the game where he had Mata playing wide in a 4-3-3, brought him in and went back to the diamond with yeah. Pogba on the left. That kind of makes Pogba a little bit more defensive. That's probably one of the reasons why he started with the higher 4-3-3 because yeah. Pogba can almost be a 10, yeah. you know, when they stretch. So I still think they're still trying to figure this out. And, and maybe, I mean, France won a World Cup with them in a two. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's different. There's different ways of looking at it. Yeah. And, and that's the only kind of red herring here that he did play in that two. He played alongside one of the best midfielders in the world in Kante, who did a lot of the work, but Pogba was terrific and he was disciplined and he was, you know, in a, in a very solid, the best defensive side in the World Cup. And so it's the only thing that makes me think he can play like that because everything that I've saw from his, his career at Juventus and then at Manchester United is that he is a maverick. He needs a free roll. He needs to be allowed to roam. You can't rely on him defensively. He, he makes too really many mistakes. can't play two against the top level, can he? Can't, in the can't, he can't play in the Premier League. Brilliant, but it's not a top level opposition. No, I know you can play you the two against Australia, yeah. can't you? Well, you get back into two banks of four at yeah. international level, don't you? Right. And it's slow and it's more methodical. In the Premier League, it's transition, it's quick, and Pogba switches off. And if you switch off for a second yeah. in that league against the, the opposition you play, you get hurt. But we can think of like 10 goals probably here that, that he's he let his man run off the back of him and, and he's reacted too late. So I think a free roll, I've always thought that he's, he, he's such an enigmatic player. He's got so much talent and uh, Solskjaer's got him, you know, rolling again and he's had some great moments, but you just can't really stick him down to a position. You've got to play him off the left with the ability to move wherever or, you know, with a base of two behind them. You've got to play them in some kind of position and just say, well, go wherever you feel and we'll ask players to just kind of fill in in, in your absence because uh, that, that's the only way you're getting the best out of them. Yeah, and I do think that I wonder whether he whether he understands the responsibility, which I think is becoming clearer, that if he's not feeling it that day, United aren't feeling it that yeah. day, you know? And that's that that's an indictment, but also a, a real a, a real compliment yeah. as well. And uh, and I, I'd hope with mature maturity and a bit more responsibility on his shoulders that he recognizes that. And maybe that's big part of what going back to what we were talking about Solskjaer really what he needs to do. It, it's been fun. The honeymoon period's over. Your man's in charge now. That guy's got to give you eight or nine to, out of ten every week, really. Well, you know, this is the issue though, because we see social say it's about putting smiles on the face of players. And <laughs> he's that really bugged me. You tell I've said it twice, and I'm like, no, it's not. It's about getting players playing and, and and asking them to do things, convincing them that you know what's best for the player. Right now, he's at the wheel. He's yeah. driving a bit of a busman's yeah, holiday, totally. isn't it? He's having a bit of a yeah. laugh, isn't he? He's having a he's come on board, somewhere. boys. It's all fun and games <laughs> yeah. on the bus with me. Well, he's at the wheel. I'm just being the best Ollie I can be. Yeah. You know what? Ollie, you're going to reach some traffic soon and then it's going to be really difficult around this corner. Yeah. And you know what? There's a bit of police coming up, so you need to slow it down and be on your guard and you're, it's about to get some very difficult difficult paths ahead on, yeah, the, on your boss. Because one thing about us players is that, you know, we're very selfish and we're going to look to what are you the guy in me? charge and say, hey, wait a sec, I'm struggling here. How can you help me? You know, yeah. and, and at the moment, it's, you know, it's fun and it's been rosy and it's been great and he's been terrific. It's about... Again, I said at one point in the show, I think it was about Mark Santos. it's about winning games mm. and picking up wins and socials did that regularly. But at some point you've got to say, hey, Paul, we want more. 
We we expect consistency and we expect you to be the main man and, and you're going to play here and this is why and this is going to be best for the team. Well, Mourinho tried that in his own unique way and that certainly never worked. Solskjaer's going to have to do it a little bit cuter. Again, sorry to heart back, but I see Pochettino do it with every single player mm-hmm. and, and he's Tottenham Hotspur squad. Hey, maybe you should play like this. I think you're going to be better like that. Guess what? They go and do whatever he asks, and and you know they're, they're pretty good at doing it. So Solskjaer has to find a way, asking Pogba to be effective consistently for Manchester United. Great point. A reminder: you can uh, send all your messages and all your tweets and using hashtag #AskAFP, and please start sending us your best. And I want to stress 2018-19 Premier League 11. So as much as you like Burkamp and as much as you like Henri and Giggs, uh, Keane, you're not putting them in. This is just for this season. Kevin De Bruyne doesn't count. Just for this season, send them in. And by the way, we're going to start going to read them out. We're going to re- give you a few shout outs. If yeah. you send one in we like or we don't like, it doesn't and matter. Pick a good formation. Pick a good formation. Got six forwards. Yeah, you know, and um, you know, goalkeeper, you can start with that. You might lose a few sleep there, but deciding on your best goalie is, by the way, as well. Um, so please send them in and continue to send in your questions. We read them all and we really do appreciate it. Please make sure to subscribe, rate and review. Tell the people who are in charge of putting those po- this podcast up what you think about it. We really appreciate it and we respond to those as well and read them all. Uh, thanks for sticking by us during the international wait- break. We are back next week again to review all the week. A big game in Germany next week. We're down at BMO yes. Field as well. TFC against a German in Bastian Schweinsteiger. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.